I want to share with you a piece of poetry written around the year 1000. This is written by St. Simeon, the New Theologian. He was the last of the th last he was the third of the last three saints that were canonized in the Eastern Orthodox Church. And this is before the church split into East and West. St. Simeon was known as the New Theologian, which is different than what we understand the word theologian to be now. It wasn't because of particular book learning or any writings. But theologian was meant to describe someone who could speak from personal experience of the vision of God. And you might be interested to hear some of the same kind of language that you heard in the blessing that I used during Advent and Epiphany from Teresa of Avila, who lived some 500 years later than St. Simeon, the New Theologian. So here's a piece of writing from St. Simeon, the New Theologian. We awaken in Christ's body as Christ awakens our bodies, and my poor hand is Christ. He enters my foot, and it is infinitely me. I move my hand, and wonderfully my hand becomes Christ, becomes all of him. For God is indivisibly whole, seamless in his godhood. I move my foot, and at once he appears in a flash of lightning. Do my words seem blasphemous? Then open your heart to him, and let yourself receive the one who is opening to you so deeply. For if we genuinely love him, we wake up inside Christ's body, where all our body, all over, every most hidden part of it, is realized in joy as him. And he makes us utterly real. And everything that is hurt, everything that seemed to us dark, harsh, shameful, maimed, ugly, irreparably damaged, is in him transformed and recognized as whole, as lovely and radiant in his sight. We awaken as the beloved in every last part of our body. Those words I read in anticipation of this Sunday and thought they led us in, lead us into an awareness of the power of our gospel lesson today. When St. Simeon, the new theologian, says, do my words seem blasphemous? Then we are able to hear a sense of what Nicodemus and the Jewish leaders felt upon hearing Jesus' words. Jesus likened himself and told people that he was one with the Father. And that was one of the biggest charges brought up against him throughout the whole Gospel of John, that he said he was one with the Father. Who is he to say he is one with the Father? Jesus was considered a blasphemer, and that was one of the main reasons that he was challenged and accused and tried. And Nicodemus knew that that was the general feeling of Jesus, and so he comes to him at night. Because Nicodemus' question to Jesus is too big to be shared in the day. He's not sure what would be assumed if people saw him with Jesus, and he's not sure how Jesus will answer. And so he comes to Jesus at night to ask him the question of what it means to be a follower of him. 
And Jesus tells him, you must be born again. At least that's how we have come to summarize the story. It's interesting to me that the phrase born again is so familiar to so many people, even those that aren't Christians. It's made its way throughout history and been passed down from generation to generation. And in its simple phrase, has meant has, has differentiated people one from another. Are you born again? Is often how the question is put. And folks know whether they're in or out, and whether they're glad about that or not, based on the answer to that question. Jesus' teaching of Nicodemus and Nicodemus' questioning of Jesus brings us back to the identity we receive in our birth. Whether you were raised by your biological mother or not, you know the power of that biological connection. People want to know where they came from, what they have inherited, what was passed on to them whether they asked for it or not. Whether it be medical history or personal characteristics, whether they be physical or in our temperament, it's important to each of us to know where we came from. And so when Jesus speaks to Nicodemus about a new birth, Nicodemus says, how is that even possible? Does one re-enter the mother's womb to be born again? But Jesus is inviting Nicodemus and us through listening to this story into an understanding and awareness of a birth that is more rooted than even that biological connection, stronger and more defining than who it is that was our mother. And that gives us direction and clarity for life in a way more profound than our heritage could ever indicate for us. Jesus tells Nicodemus of what it means to be born of the Spirit. Now, as you know, this still continues to be a challenge to understand, to comprehend, and even to be open to. St. Simeon invites us to be open to it as he speaks about it in his poem. But here we are some 2,000 years later, and still this gospel lesson grabs hold of us and works us over in ways that we don't expect. You may or may not know that I grew up in Kentucky, and born again was quite the language of my upbringing. In that environment, Southern Baptist was the biggest denomination And there was always the question about whether or not you were born again. And you could know if you could answer that question, if you could point to a specific time and place where your life was transformed and you knew that Jesus was your Savior and you were able to share that. But I never had an illustration to share. I grew up in the church. We went every Sunday. I knew the stories. I went to church school. I had a devotional life in high school. I prayed. But never could I speak about being born again. And I wasn't quite sure what to do about that. Being born again was not anything I could talk about in my Methodist upbringing or in my Southern Baptist environment that I was raised in. I didn't have a sense of what it meant to be born again until I became an Episcopalian. It's kind of funny. We don't even use that language. But in the rituals of the church, my identity was transformed. And I came to see myself as a part of something bigger.
bigger than my biological inheritance, rooted in a relationship with Jesus. It happened in the most obscure of ways. I was in my early 20s and was anticipating going to seminary. I worked with the spiritual director, a wonderful woman who I met with once a month, just to talk about God and prayer and stuff like that. And in her conversation, she asked me if I'd ever made a private confession, which is something that we have available to us in the Episcopal Church. It's called the Reconciliation of a Penitent, and it's in your prayer book somewhere after Thanksgiving for the birth of a child, after marriage. You can see the liturgy there. Well, I hadn't ever made a private confession, and this woman, my spiritual director, a priest, suggested that maybe I consider doing that. She'd always given me good counsel, so I said that I was interested in exploring what it would mean to make a private confession. She sent me a little book by Martin Smith called Reconciliation, Preparing for the Sacrament of the Reconciliation of a Penitent. And I read it dutifully, trusting in her wisdom and her insight. In this little book, Smith invites the reader to write down everything over these days and weeks of preparation, everything that the one who's preparing has done wrong. And so I kept a little piece of paper, and I wrote down everything. As it came to me, and this particular author said, don't judge it saying, oh, well, I was only 10. Don't even try to say that. Just write it down. And so I wrote down the things I did wrong when I was 10, too. There was nothing that would have been glaring or that I felt particularly shameful about. I mean, there were just general wrong things that I had done in my life. But I followed the counsel of the book. And the book said, often when people make a private confession, they cry. And I thought, okay, duly noted. Now, I say that because I'm not one prone to tears. I don't cry about things very often, but, you know, I was reading the book faithfully as I had committed myself to doing, and I followed its instructions and met my spiritual director to make my first confession. We entered into the little chapel. She took her seat and directed me at my place at the altar rail. And she walked me through the liturgy, and she said, this is what we'll do, and I'll say this, and then that's when you have the chance to get out your list, when we get to this part, and that sort of thing. And so I understood her directions and followed along. And so we got to the part where I unfolded my piece of paper that said all the things that I had done wrong, all of those years leading up to that moment. I read them slowly, and I began to cry. And I was amazed that I was crying. They were not tears that were there because I felt like a miserable sinner. And that I felt particular shame about things that I had done when I was 10. That's not what those tears were about. The tears were about an overwhelming sense of love. It washed over me. And I couldn't not cry. I began to see that all the things that I held on to, all those things I had done wrong, all the identities that I had claimed, the adjectives that I'd used to define myself, stories that I had used to illustrate who I was, whether they were good things or bad things, all of these things had become burdens to me. 
and I had carried them around trying to keep them alive so that I would know who I was. But Christ in Christ's mercy reminded me of who I ultimately am, foundationally am, a child of God, beloved. That's the only identity I need. It will root me in the world and it will call out the best in me. I was born again, a new identity of who I was, who I am. Everything changed in that moment 15 years ago. So we are offered these stories to let us know that God wants more for us than we often want for ourselves. Jesus is telling us in his speaking to Nicodemus and in our hidden ability to listen in on this conversation that he wants a fuller life for us, even than what we want for ourselves. And he invites us to lay down the life that we have so that we can have the fullness and richness of life that he offers us. It's a scary invitation, one that we might be afraid to even engage in, we don't know what it means, how it might change us, how it might change our engagement with the world. But it is what Christ offers to us. And God offers us in Christ the strength to receive it, to receive the new life offered us in Jesus. It's only up to us to be willing to respond when the wind blows and the spirit moves and be willing to say yes. Amen.